Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I'm your host, Tiasha Zaitz, and today we're going to talk about elderly care, more specifically, beating loneliness with a robot called Cutie. Social isolation and loneliness are linked to several health problems, from high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, anxiety, depression, cognitive decline, and even death. According to National Institute of Health, losing a sense of connection and community changes a person's perception of the world in a negative way. For quite a few years now, robots have been used in Japan to increase the quality of life of the elderly. While it's true that robots are more integrated in the culture of Japan compared to the West, it turns out companionship of robots is getting increasingly normalized here as well. I spoke with Richard Marshall, VP of Business Development at Cutie, a friends-based company also present in the US, offering elderly an opportunity to connect with real people with the home robot Cutie. You will hear about the effects of loneliness in the old age, how connections can be built with the help of robots and a vibrant community of activity providers, and more. Enjoy the show or visit the website www.facesofdigitalhealth.com to read the recap of this episode. The link to the summary of this discussion is in the show notes. Richard, a quick warm-up question. Have you ever talked to a robot? Most certainly I have. In fact, uh, I do that um, professionally uh, these days. So how does it feel? How did it feel the first time you did it? Well, you know, um, I can tell you a little story, and this is a little bit of a diversion, but I'm originally an Australian, and I, I live in the United States, and I travel back to Australia. When, when I go, I stay with my family, and I um stay at my parents' house generally, of course. And uh, one time I went back maybe two years ago, my parents happened to be traveling and they have a, a robotic vacuum cleaner. And the interesting thing is after the second morning, I found myself talking to the vacuum cleaner. Um, so I think fair to say that uh, in some ways it's quite easy for us to form connections with um, robotic devices more so than we might think, actually. There's a growing field, of course, of ethics and anthropology when it comes to robots. And there's a lot of evidence that, that even very hardened professionals, people in the military, form very strong relationships with robotic devices. And there are stories of landmine-clearing robots. And these are, if you can imagine, like, like robotic cockroaches that crawl along the ground. And... And each time it touches a landmine, it, it, the landmine will explode, okay, to detonate the landmine, and it will blow off a leg from this moving robotic device. Um, and there are stories of um, military leaders um, who aren't able to stand watching this thing being blown up, and they'll bring it back after a couple of legs have blown off rather than keep using it for its intended purpose. And in fact, 
they've been known to give them burial ceremonies in, in the US um, military. So even people who are so arguably some of the most trained professionals form form deep connections with these devices. And I, I really think we're starting to understand that. And that has a, obviously there are ethical questions to be unpacked in all of that, but there's a huge amount of potential as well. That's quite mind-boggling, especially since we're talking about loneliness among people and um, individualism and the lack of contact between generations. What have you been observing so far with Cutie and the relationship uh, elderly people form with your rob robots? People form a connection with, with Cutie. They love it, okay? Um, we know from a, a, a huge number of testimonials in our first market, which is in France, um, that people really do enjoy having um, this presence in their in their life. And it's it's funny actually because Cutie really is not um, it's not the, the the classical robot in the sense of uh, perhaps um, Peppa and some of the more well known. Um, anthropomorphic robots that, that people may see in Japan and other places. Um, the whole point of, of our QT is to connect people who are really prone to loneliness at home to other people outside of their home. We're, we're going to deliver thousands of years of happiness for people at home, and we're going to do that by connecting those people to other people outside of their home. There is a, a robotic companion in the home called QT. That's the tool that allows them to do that. And in the process of doing that, of course, people will actually form a relationship with QT itself. But really, the, the most important thing that we do is connecting people who are at home and very vulnerable to isolation, which leads to loneliness, which is well documented to lead to a spiral of cognitive and physical decline. It's really set up to connect those people to people outside of their home. Before we continue, it makes sense to describe Cutie a little bit because this is an audio uh, medium. So Cutie is a robot and it looks like a screen on a stand that moves around uh, in the apartment or in the environment. It supports speech recognition and vocal synthesis so the users can send written messages using their voice. The robot also allows remote control for family caregivers, detects falls, and as you mentioned, it's an IoT device that enables the elderly to meet new people, uh, caregivers in the QT community, and these people are outside doing various communities while being connected and in contact with the elderly people at home. So can you tell me a little bit more about the community? So these people that connect to the elderly, what are their ages? How do they get into the community? If I would say one thing, um, I would describe it um, in almost the opposite way that you described it. How? Well, I would say again that... Um, QT is really a way of connecting people to other people. And so when you talk about um, the caregiver or the, the activity provider network that we have set up, that's actually um, the, one of the main aspects of, of our approach to fighting loneliness for seniors at home. 
we've we set up um, a network of people who who are happy to provide um, activities through QT, so remotely live activities for um, seniors who spend most of their time in their home. In a sense, it's um, it's something of a two-sided market that we're developing. In a way, it's kind of has aspects of something like Uber, where there's the um, the people at home, but just as importantly, we developed a, um, a curated and managed network of people who provide cultural, entertainment, educational activities and, and health-related activities that people can participate in in from home and in in terms of your uh, questions um that it's a range of ages i mean we um we have uh, young people who are whether whether volunteering and they're interested in a particular topic area whether it's offering quizzes um, to people in real time or or tours of historic sites in our first market in europe or people who provide yoga or pilates or um you know, whole health activities such as those. There are young people. There are people um, of, a, of a middle age, and, and in, indeed, there are um, one or two older people who enjoy the community aspect that they provide by providing real-time activities with with the seniors at home. And the seniors at home can do that one-on-one. So that can be a individual relationship that. Um, is recurring with a particular interest area. Or, for example, um, we have activity providers who provide cooking classes uh, in France, and that'll be a, a one-to-many uh, activity. And the people having QT in their home can say, using their voice, as you say only, can opt in to, to that event and participate and develop relationships with real people in real time. So um, this is not... Uh, YouTube on wheels. This is not providing streaming content. Um, it's really all about human connection, a community, and keep keeping people vital and happy in their homes for for years. If we stop there uh, for a while with the connection, does it happen that a user can talk to or can follow an activity provider? several times you know so how strong are these interpersonal connections do activity providers ever meet their users uh, in real life or is it all just yeah. online so far um as far as we know the answer is not yet um but but there's no reason why that can't be the case and we you know we're not so we're not so protective that we would demand that people can't meet i mean um And of course, that's really the mission for our company is is to keep those connections, to to provide thousands of years of additional happiness for people in their homes. And if that involves people meeting up in the real world as well, then that that would be fantastic. That'd be a great outcome. Uh, unless it would uh, be a burden for those presenting the activities, you know. So if you have lonely people on one side. And then active people that have their own social networks, and then some lonely people that would get attached to those people. Then you might have a problem. You know, anything's possible in this big wide world. I, I will say, for example, in the U.S. market here, where you know I'm based in Massachusetts in the United States. In the U.S. market, there are adult or senior day centers where 
perhaps one or two days a week, seniors will be who are at risk of loneliness in community are brought to the centre and to participate in sort of the sorts of activities that you know I'm talking about. And in those cases, dependency on an individual outside of that environment isn't really the, a problem. Whether whether it's delivered face to face at a senior centre or delivered via QT using our technology, I really don't think you know that's necessarily a problem. I will also uh, highlight that whilst there are services available for seniors in our communities in Europe, in the United States, in fact all around the world, they really just are not enough. And the statistics can be rather frightening. Um, in the United States, a a senior over 75 who lives alone on average has five conversations in a month. This is already with the, the networks in place in the United States. Right now, that's the average number of conversations. So, you know, that's just not good enough. And we've, we need to do better. There are many, many hundreds of hours every month that many seniors, unfortunately, are alone. And, and really, that's That's what we're trying to, to help with. What's the average age of users of QT? Because when we're talking about the elderly, we usually talk about 65 plus. But then when you think about it, people at 65 with better lifestyles are quite vital still. So, so the average age is in, is in the early 70s, so around 72 to 74. If you look at the continuum of senior care, In the United States, the average age of somebody um, moving into a um, continuing care uh, residential community, a CCRC in the United States, is around 74. So, you know, the, these are the years that we we can add um, great value, great deals of happiness, years of happiness rather, for people who want to remain at home. And, and that's, a, that's a factor. The baby boomers in the United States, of which there are 72 million Um, are, are entering their retirement years now, and a great number of those, they want to stay at home. You know, they, they don't, for obvious reasons, people have attachments to their the home where they've lived for many years, and, and, and they want to stay there for as long as possible. And so, you know, we see that window of time in there. If we can add three more years of happiness at home for a marginal expense for somebody who would like to stay there, that's both a, a moral victory and Um, and an economic gain for everybody as well. Since you, start, you started talking about economics, QT runs on a subscription model starting from 90 euros per month. Um, and there's also additional micropayments per activity sessions. Can you tell me a little bit more about the business model, about the thinking uh, behind setting up the price? Because... Um, when it comes to uh, the elderly people, costs can rapidly grow you know so anything that you add to the expenses can be a burden that, that's an absolutely pivotal question uh, for any business and, and we're we're no different um, in terms of the price point we, we see it as position where um, for the cost of um, perhaps a cell phone plan for a for a home um, or, or a family cell phone plan in the united states Providing this level of service and care is good value, and, and our initial contact with the market has, has proven that out. Of course, there is more complexity underneath the surface. 
as you can imagine. For example, if you look at our first market, which is France, we have direct-to-consumer subscription sales. We also have a channel-to-market with um, a, a mutual health insurer in northern France. And so there would be a level of financial support from them for their members because they can see the total population economic gains by keeping people at home happier, safer, and less reliant on expensive medical care for longer. And in addition, we have a channel to market with uh, the public department in France, and we are in discussions with them now in terms of the model in which we can scale QT to deliver years of happiness to the populations for which they are responsible. It will be different in different locations depending on the, who pays for the care and, and how that care is delivered. And I will say we, we deliver QT on a, a subscription model, on a monthly subscription model, but also it would be available to su- for, for outright sale, corporate clients, and that can include, for example, physician health networks that may include insurance payers as well here in the United States for whom understanding that the population health outcomes would yield great value for them. Can you tell me a little bit more about the discussions that you had with insurers and with other payers that are not individuals? So how did you present the value given that this is, you know, providing happiness is hard to measure and it's more like prevention and it's hard to get payers for something that hasn't happened yet? That, that's a, um, a conundrum that, that many more longitudinal uh, services such as ours face, of course. There are um, major changes occurring in the health market in the United States. And whilst the Affordable Care Act here in the US is perhaps politically uh, controversial for some reasons, um, there's, there's, a, there's a, a huge aspect of the Affordable Care Act in the US, which relates to delivering better value for the care of populations as funded by the government. So plans such as Medicare Advantage plans are growing uh, over time here in the US and are much more significant payers of health for senior populations. And these insurers, whether they're Medicare Advantage only or dual eligible, Medicare, Medicaid, Medicaid, these uh, insurers now understand that they have a finite amount of money and with that finite amount of money, they need to deliver health outcomes for a population as a whole. And so they're starting to understand that the more behavioural, societal health targets such as loneliness and isolation are actual valid targets and and we know that there are different approaches being tried in different parts of the US and and we're in discussions with insurers now to become one of those approaches what plans do you have for scaling because for example at the moment QT is available in France and Switzerland which opens up the question how many languages um, are available and how accessible it is to people from non-French or non-English speaking countries? At the moment, um, it's uh, QT operates in French uh, and in English. Uh, we have plans to, to work on additional languages over time. Our philosophy is not to develop 
a, a, a robotic platform and port it to as many languages as possible and throw it at the market. It, it, we have a much more deliberative approach, I think, and it's really um, comes back to what QT, what the device and what the service that QT offers actually is. And so we, we want to grow appropriately and deliver appropriate value to populations. And to do that, as I've alluded, um, we have we have the technology, and that's very important. We also develop a curated network of activity providers that's more regional, so it's French and, and American thus far, and we develop those in parallel. We're not going to be launching QT in 12 languages on five continents around the world in a hurry. I would imagine that any other approach wouldn't have such beneficial effects exactly because of the proximity of people you're in contact with, which is something what we talked about before. So, for example, if uh, your user is talking to someone that's miles and miles away and there's not even a possibility for them to meet in person, that has a certain psychological effect um, on um, the whole connection. It's not, it's not enough to develop, um, no matter how well-meaning you are, to develop a, a, a monitoring technology and throw it into the homes of people and assume that people are going to use this technology, even if rationally it would be a, a good thing to do. For different reasons, whether it's feeling a little patronised, perhaps people um, find uh, new technology a little inhibiting, not all technologies are being taken up at the speed at which people had hoped originally would be the case. Our philosophy is to develop connections to individuals in the outside world. And, you know, that's not the easiest thing to scale, is it? I mean, this is not um, Amazon Alexa on wheels. We are deliberately and carefully developing appropriate services that people actually want and then will actually use. There are several emphases uh, from the company side that you the QT is never going to be run by Amazon Alexa or or Google Home. Can you tell me a little bit more about or why do you, do you feel that this strong position is needed so publicly? I think that's a fair question, and I must say first, I mean, we have nothing against these technology leading companies. Um, and clearly they're leading the world in, in many different respects and, and not least natural language processing um, and, of course, Alexa and Google Home are, are becoming uh, dominant consumer brands in the United States and beyond. But, but I think, again, it goes back to how the genesis of, of our solution with QT and from the very beginning it was designed in people's homes from day one uh, with our design consultancies that we worked with. It was developed specifically for this use case, specifically for this application. Right? With our focus on designing to del delight seniors at home, at the other end, this is what came out. And what came out was um, human connection, curated network of activity providers, and a, a specific user experience that supported this particular design. 
And in addition, of course, you alluded at the beginning to uh, emergency response and the ability to um, participate in telehealth um, interactions using QT as well. But all of that, when wrapped together, um, was designed for this use. And as it happens, um, we built that without relying on the Amazon, Google, Facebook, Baidu technology stacks. And of course, you know, we're not strict about it, that, that we're against these great companies and we'll constantly review the technology landscape and make decisions that are really are aligned with our mission to bring these many years of happiness. And if that at some stage requires a little bit more assistance from these companies, we'll, we'll, we'll look at that. Uh, how is QT presented to the potential new users? You know, robots are still not a new normal at the moment. So I'm wondering what's the first response, you know, that you get? Who is actually the buyer? Is it the uh, children or the relatives that find uh, the product and then feel that this is something that might be uh, useful for their parents? And so in terms of the, the, the B2C, so in terms of the direct to um, the consumer channel to market, it's actually a half and half. I mean, we've, um, we have subscriptions which are directly from seniors who, who know about this service from one, one or more marketing channels um, and are interested. But in addition, there is a cohort of um, sandwich generation, as we call them in America, so people who perhaps in their 40s and 50s who have a, a senior parent living alone, that person may be a little bit distant from maybe in the hometown, the person's perhaps living four or five hours drive away. They can't go home to visit mom or dad every couple of days um, and, and they're concerned and, and they are actually customers as well. They're, they have been a channel who have come to us and said, look, this is very useful for for me and gives me peace of mind for for $5 a day. We talked about the connection with other people, but also about the connection with QT uh, itself as an entity, as I'm not going to say a person, but as a friend to an, to, to an elder. So can QT only be used in home or can you take it out for a walk? No. So, so QT is very much designed um, for, for an individual's home. Um, and in in a similar way to to not not to not to demean cutie, but in a similar way to perhaps a Roomba or a, um, a, a autonomously moving device in your home, cutie will will be taught the the footprint of the living area and and knows how to move. For example, I live perhaps four or five hours away from my mother, and I want to initiate a, a phone call with her. She perhaps has limited mobility, spends a lot of time between the bed and the sofa. Um, on my cell phone, I can. we have an app which, which I will use to send Cutie to the sofa and to initiate a, a, a voice or video call with my mother. There are other robotic technologies designed to, to follow a person outside of home, but, but that's not our use case. I've just been thinking that if you combine Cutie with Boston Robotics robots, <laughs> then you have something very, very interesting on your hands. Oh yeah! So we have um, we have an office in Boston uh, originally from 
near Lille in France, and we now have an office in Boston here. And um, it's, you know, one of the robotic centers of the world now, and there's just so much exciting activity both on the health but the robotics uh, fronts happening in Boston. And, and you're absolutely right. There's, there's a lot of potential. So tell me a little bit more about the potential and what you're optimistic about when it comes to aging. What kind of market research uh, did you do regarding what's out there on the market? Um, because aging is a known problem uh, with serious societal consequences, but at the same time, it seems that there's not enough being done. A lot of it is connected to the fact that we need physical caregivers when people are in their last stages or life of life um, and more. So um, where do you see the future is going in terms of all the new innovations out there? The number one problem, you talk to anybody involved in home health services, the number one problem is staffing. Finding people... And keeping people is the single biggest problem, certainly in the United States. And the statistics are, I guess, uh, arresting, shall we say. I mean, I'll give you a couple. In a 2018 survey of home caregivers, the, the median turnover rate, so this is the median rate at which in a year they'll turn over staff, was 82%. So that means you only have a one in five chance of that same caregiver being available in 12 months' time. We know that there are hundreds of thousands of um, job vacancies right now in the United States. There are forecasts that by 2026, there'll be 7.8 million caregiver job openings. For different, these are people moving in and around the industry, but there'll be um, at least 1.4 million new job openings in the next six years in the United States. And there are just not the, the appropriate number of people available to do these jobs. 20% of the people interviewed in this, this survey that I'm um, talking about had interviewed themselves at Amazon. So going from depression to optimism, what kind of innovations are you seeing? What can we be uh, excited about? I mean, obviously, there, the market needs to respond to this. And we as a society need um, to innovate. And innovation comes in a number of ways. And I think we're a prime example of that. We we want to allow, lessen the burden of this lack of availability of staff by allowing people more connectivity from home, keeping people home safe and happy for longer. Okay, so we're doing our part, we think. When you look at the continuing care uh, residential communities, um, there's, there's a huge amount of innovation occurring in the senior living space as well. So making senior living, whether it's independent living, assisted living or skilled nursing, making those experiences more uh, valuable to individuals. And indeed, senior living providers are connecting more and more with home health organisations and then in some cases merging and offering services that bridge those two gaps. But either way, I mean, innovation has to be part of the solution and, and, and we're doing our little bit. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. Stay tuned, subscribe to the podcast to be notified about upcoming episodes automatically and do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. Coming up next, 
is a series about patients and their perception of digital health and healthcare.